the oracles of God. Now the word for oracles in the original Greek language is from the same word that we get logos, which is the Greek word for word. But the actual word used in the sentence is logion, and it refers to very important sayings or messages, especially supernatural utterances. It's more than just a letter that I might send to you, which we could call logos. This is something from God himself. So the Jews possessed the very words of God, the very words of the only one and true God. They had the transcript of God's truth. And it surpassed every other holy book ever written, no matter the cultural or religious setting. That is what he is stressing here in verse 2. The Jews were given the very words of God. But that's not all. It says, to begin with, as the opening of verse 2 in the English Standard Version, which is what we read today, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The New American Standard, if that's what you're reading this morning, or the New International Version say, first of all, rather than to begin with. The interesting different translation is the King James Version of the Bible. It says, chiefly. So the Greek word there is protos, which means first, but it doesn't mean first necessarily as in a sequence, but rather in the sense of importance. It's the same word Jesus used when he said in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. It doesn't necessarily mean you have a list of things to do and you should do this first before number two. What it means is this is the most important thing. You should do it to begin with first, chiefly. That's why I think the King James Version has the more um, descriptive word in there. I like the way they use the word chiefly. So it's not first in sequence, but it's most importantly the Jews were given the words of God. Not the Syrians. Not the Babylonians, not the Philistines, but the Jews. And I think this is of immense importance to us as we consider the advantages or lack thereof of being a modern-day religious person. And the reason I think this is so important is when we get to chapter 9 and we see this long list of blessings for the Jewish people, this is the only one in which Gentiles share. We have the Word of God. Can any of us experience anything in life of greater personal advantage to our soul than the possession of Holy Scriptures? Of course not. It is of immense value to us. There is no greater advantage than to be within earshot of the Word of God, which is why whenever you read stories of missionaries going into the unreached people groups of the world, into the, whether it's the bush or the desert, the jungle, 
one of the first things they want to do is to make a Bible in their language. Because there is nothing of any greater importance to our soul than to be within earshot or to be in possession of the Word of God. Without it, we're utterly confused. We're left to speculate where all the questions of life are concerned. Is there a God? Well, Paul argued that just by looking at creation, you can acknowledge that there is a God. But it's difficult without God's word to understand who he is and what he's like and the significance that he holds. Who are we? We don't know the answer to that question. It's only in God's word that we can discover that we are created in the image of God. We are created to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. What about questions like, how do we come to God? How is our sin to be dealt with? What way of life is best? And does what we do here even matter? Those are questions that we can only gain the answers to through God's word. You may remember as we've been looking at this issue of the Jewish people, we, I drew a parallel between us and them. The Jews were the religious people of Paul's day. And so what I did was took what Paul was saying to the very religious person of his day and applied it, or tried to, to the thoroughly religious person of our day. And I think this is important for us to grasp because Paul here is arguing that no one is saved by such things as church ceremonies, sacraments, ordinances, church attendance. No one is even saved even by something as important as reading the Bible. That in itself will not pray, uh, save you. There are plenty of people who are not saved who have read the Bible as a work of literature. But that doesn't mean that our religious practices are of no use. Or that when we abuse them or neglect them, we're being wise. That's not at all what this means. So this morning, I want to ask you this question. What advantage is there in being a godly, church-going, and I put in quotes, Christian person? So by the word Christian, I don't mean born again, I mean like all the other Christians. Does that make sense? A descriptor of your behavior, perhaps. So we've already said that being within earshot of God's word is a tremendous blessing. And so I want to look at what advantage is there for you to be in this group with that truth in mind. So the first thing I want to point out is that going to church and listening to the preaching and teaching of God's Word, at least if you're in a good Bible-believing church, will at least cause you to know the way of salvation. Now, you might argue that, well, that's, that's not really an advantage if you choose not to act on that, if you choose to reject God's way of salvation. That would be a disadvantage because it, in fact, would increase your guilt. It's an issue of knowing what the master wants and choosing not to do it, then I would say you are correct in that estimation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately 
after receiving the knowledge of the truth, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Moreover, if you want to look at it as an actual disadvantage, we sometimes begin to think of ourselves as pretty special Christians. I go to this church. And we sometimes think that God must somehow think better of us because of what we know. But it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it's meant to work quite the other way when you hear God's word preached and taught. Instead of becoming proud of your knowledge, you should be humbled by it. I mean, the first thing you learn from the Bible, if you're actually reading it seriously and profiting from it, is that you're a sinner. You're hopelessly lost. In fact, you're under God's wrath, and you're doomed to perish utterly. We've spent, I don't know how many weeks, going through that earlier in Romans. That is your state, unless God is gracious to you and reaches out to save you through the work of Christ. That's what you learn as you read and as you hear the Bible taught. It's what Romans is all about so far. Who can read these first few chapters of Romans and remain proud? How can you read these chapters and fail to see the need to throw yourself totally on the mercy of God? Knowledge of the way of salvation including knowledge of your condition as a sinner, will in itself not save you. But it's very hard to see how you can be saved without it. We have to know our condition. Without such knowledge, you'll not even begin to seek God. And maybe even worse, you'll think yourself to already be a Christian. So listening to God's word being preached or taught, being in the company of Christians where that is done, at least you will learn the way of salvation. The other great advantage of regular church attendance, attending the preaching and the study of God's word, is that even though you can't claim this as a right, it's, it's not a guarantee, it is through the reading and the preaching of the Bible that God is most likely to save. God has chose, chosen the foolishness of preaching as his method of saving people. He's invested power in his word, which is why possessing the oracles of God was such a great blessing. I mean, how is one born again after all? Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the power is not in the preacher the power is not in the program that the church might offer. The power is in the Word. And the reason it's in the Word is because the Word is attended to by the Holy Spirit. The Word can cut through our minds and through our hardened hearts. It can pierce our souls to bring us to Christ. 
there's much advantage where the Word of God is preached. To hear the Word of God is the most assured path to salvation. James wrote this, James chapter 1, verse 18, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So if you're hearing these words this morning, but you're not born again, you've made a decision not to do that, your condition is not good. You're lost. And you're under God's wrath. You're blind to God's truth. You're spiritually bankrupt. But there is one thing. Although you can't save yourself, as long as you hear this or any other gospel message, you're at least where Jesus is likely to go. He loves to bless the preaching and the teaching of his word. Therefore, though your condition is desperate, it's no worse than any other lost sinner before he or she was saved. Those phrases I read described me at one time. Lost and under God's wrath, blind to God's truth, spiritually bankrupt. That was me. And that was every other Christian that you know before they came to Christ. So even though your condition this morning is not good, it's no different than what my condition was when I heard the gospel message and it touched my heart. The mere hearing of the word is your advantage. So don't despise it. Don't say, so then, what advantage is there in religion? If Paul was here, he'd say there's great advantage. He would say, as he did in verse 2 of chapter 3, much in every way. I mean, who knows? But that God will use the very word you heard today to save your soul. Would you pray with me? I'm going to close this section of our service with a prayer that I'm borrowing, borrowing from the great Puritan Matthew Henry who uses scripture in his praying and this prayer is for God's word. So would you pray with me? I thank you, God, that I have the scriptures to search and that in them I have eternal life for it is they that bear witness about Christ. And I thank you that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I thank you, God, that whatever was written in former days was written for my instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, I might have hope. And God, I thank you that I have this sure prophetic word as a lamp shining in a dark place. I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that the things which you have hidden from the wise and understanding and which many prophets and kings desired to see but did not are revealed to little children like myself. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.